0: Welcome to episode 32 of the Off Kilter Podcast. Today's episode is a little different. I am sharing the recording of a podcast that I did with my friend and fellow mover, Fionn. I'm so grateful that he asked me to share my story on his podcast, which is called The Passive Hang, (laughs) which is the coolest podcast name ever. And I'm hoping you get it. Uh, In the movement world, we do a lot of hanging. And when we're just hanging on the bar, we're passively hanging. Uh, And I just love this podcast name because we're hanging out uh, while we're recording a podcast. Uh, But he also articulated that he called it the passive hang because it was one of his. Uh, favorite movements when he started to explore the movement world. So his podcast is called The Passive Hang and we sat down and had a conversation about my story. Uh, We initially met through APA uh, which is a program for passion business owners especially in the health, wellness and movement space and it's run by uh, our Dear friend and mentor, John Marsh. So we met last year in APA. And today in the conversation, I share my journey through gymnastics, hockey, dancing, uh, competing in Olympic lifting, through movement and the movement culture and uh, beyond. We dive into uh, my training story. I also share my own struggles with identity, training and energy which really led me to develop uh, my own unique approach to helping women finally get the results that they want from their training through understanding their cycle. So this episode, it was such, uh, I had so much fun recording it. Uh, His curiosity, uh, humor, uh, and beautiful calm energy is so great to be around Uh, And this episode is great for those wanting to find out more about female-specific training and challenges, including our menstrual cycles, nutrition, uh, and what I call the red umbrella, which is uh, basically everything in our lives that impacts uh, how well our body functions. So I really enjoyed this conversation, uh, and I hope you enjoy it too. Okay, let's do this. Episode 32. This is the Off-Kilter Podcast. It is about breaking rules, listening to your ovaries, and coloring outside of the lines. Each week, we will connect and be in conversation about how to reignite your sexuality, feel powerfully graceful, and deeply connected to your body, all while navigating life. I am your teacher, Amy-Kate
1: Boe. Well, I guess, thanks for, we'll just kick it off. I'm just recording the whole thing, so um, I'll just edit it in whenever we start. But um, you know what the name of the podcast is? Did I ever tell you?
0: No, you didn't.
1: It's it's called The Passive Hang. Oh Oh my
0: God, no way, I love that. (laughs)
1: so welcome to the passive hang <laughs>
0: oh that's amazing
1: i appreciate you joining joining me for another episode <laughs> um <laughs> i was um yeah doing a lot of brainstorming on the, on the on the name at the start and uh, i don't know what happened but that I had like like this huge list of all this stuff, and I think this was like the only semi-good one that I like came up with. And then I kept on looking at it. I'm like, actually, I think I think this could could be good.
0: <laughs> I love that. So when you chose it, and what does it mean to you? Like, what's behind it?
1: Well, the hanging concept, I think, was one of the strongest concepts that really like hit me. At first, when I like got into this whole, uh, there's this movement culture thing. Hey, like, what's this all about? And you know, there were several like really strong key, um, I guess, positions and concepts that were pushed through. You know, one was like the whole squatting thing, um, and then the other one was this whole hanging thing. Because before that, I was just all about okay, let's just do pull-ups and active work on it then it was suddenly like oh you can just hang from a bar and they brought awareness to how amazing that felt just hanging and so that's just always stuck through to me and I do that all the time and so that's one of my favorite things that I like to pass on to other people Uh, and so I think that that's always front of mind for me but then you know, I was trying to look for a play on words as well. So I think this one, this one might work well.
0: Yeah. This works really well. It, yeah. it has a beautiful play on words and it's really meaningful for you. So I really yep. like it.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, welcome. Uh <laughs> uh We'll just kick this, uh, this little chat off, I, I guess. Um, uh, way i like to start things is yeah i I guess do a little intro you know amy kate bow um we met for the first time last year through doing a program together and i remember we always got together digitally like every month on, on zoom calls i remember i think i first saw you and i was like who is, who is this chick she's over in Canada like how how did she get connected like the rest of us were all over in Australia it was kind of like this semi sort of mystery right I was like always scratching my head but then I would look at some of your updates and what you're pushing out and it was like really deep work I think like with like the submissions that you're going through you really put in like a lot of thought and then yeah, then I saw some of like your your like physical work as well, like your body weight strength, and I was like, I think this is like one of the strongest women I've ever seen as well. This and <laughs> this, this is insane. <laughs> one of the first things I think I saw you was when you were like half climbing on the on the wall or just using the wall as a play tool, and I was like, I think I I think I can do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> go try that, and then I was like trying it, and I was like, this is really really hard. <laughs> I did that
0: again today, actually, for my warm-up. I was climbing up the wall. <laughs> um, but no, thank you. Uh, I, um, I have spent a long time always uh, as strong and resilient as I am now. But we can get into that if you want, and I can go into my story. Uh, is that where you would like to start?
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess um just I like kicking it off, just give a brief intro into like, you know, who you are, what you're about, and then we can go from there.
0: Yeah, okay. So I am well I'm super fortunate, as you mentioned, to be living here in Vancouver and I work between Australia and Vancouver. I am Australian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> People aren't quite sure anymore because there is an eclectic mix of accents. Mm. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I am Australian, but I am living in Vancouver. Uh, Oh, where can I go in my story? (laughs) Okay. I come from a gymnastics and dancing background. So I have moved since I was three years old. Mm. Uh, And I did gymnastics uh, since I was three Uh, competitively for a really long time. uh, And I was good at it, really good. But then we moved from, so I was born in Canberra in Australia. And my primary school even had their own gymnasium there. Mm. And so I was on their team. uh, And then just as we were about to leave, my mom got a job Uh, up on the far north coast, just south Mm -hmm. of Byron Bay, when I was 10. Uh, And just as I was about to leave, I was doing trials for the AIS. So Mm -hmm. that's the Australian Institute of Sport. Um, But I do remember the day that I was there, my dad was sitting like up in the grandstand and I was like terrified. I remember walking over to him and just crying, just being like, I don't think I belong here. (laughs) Um, But that was an intense couple of days doing Mm -hmm. trials And then we moved uh, to a small country town and they didn't really have a strong gymnastics uh, history or background or program there. Uh, So unfortunately, I quit and then I started to dance and I danced all throughout primary school and high school Um, and I played competitive field hockey. So that is like ah. my movement background uh, or my training background. I've been in gym since I was about 14 years old. Uh, so I've always been moving my body or I've been around people that have been moving their body. Um, and then I finished high school and my sister suffered anorexia and she was sick for quite a long time. And I wasn't really sure what I was gonna do with my life. Um, there was two directions, like two passions. This physical, uh, like exercise sciencey passion, but then also I did drama and performing arts through high school. And so I applied to do um, a Bachelor of Performing Arts. So I got into it, but then my sister got sick. And while she was sick, I decided that I wanted to become a dietitian and specialize in eating disorders. So I did that. I did a Bachelor of Exercise Science and Nutrition. Uh, and then I moved to Melbourne in 2009 to do my master's in dietetics. Uh, so I got into Deakin University in Melbourne uh, and did my master's in dietetics. And then I found uh, all mentors within the eating disorder space to start learning from and working under. And then I went into private practice and worked mostly with uh, women who had eating disorders uh, or disordered eating. But about a year into that, um, which was hard work uh, and very hard emotionally, I think from just from my sister and Mm. like this our story, uh, and then I remember this point of being in private practice, thinking, "Oh my God! Like I hate it. Like I don't like it. Uh, like it's exhausting. It's very hard work. It's too close to home." But I spent all this time, like studying and working, to get to this point, uh, and it took me. I was lost for about a year, like deciding what I should do. Um, And then eventually I decided that I'd leave uh, private practice and stop being a dietitian that worked in eating disorders. And I found work with the Butterfly Foundation. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. No, I haven't. Yeah, it's in Melbourne. It's a non-for-profit and they work with uh, schools um, and parents on working around this whole concept of self-esteem and body image and eating disorders in schools. Mm-hmm. So I, went on, uh, I came on board with them and went into schools and did presentations and workshops on body image and self-esteem and eating disorders. And that was awesome work. Super fun, super engaging, uh, a lot of preventative stuff coming from a real positive place, which I really liked. Uh, and then I kind of found myself wandering back into the training space. So I'd been training people since I finished my undergrad degree in 2009. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then kind of got pulled back into that world. And that was really from my own story about my training and my body. Mm -hmm. So I guess the story that I kind of told was like my work story. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been coaching and teaching for 12 years now, um, And then my interest back into the training or movement space happened when I was doing my master's. I had a chronic like lower back issue that would just come on um, every so often. Uh, But I remember one day it was so bad that I couldn't even get up off the floor. Hmm. I was just in so much pain. And I was referred to a trainer who... Specialized in like pain and rehabilitation, but was one of the most unconventional, inspiring, um, dedicated, eccentric people I've ever met. Um, And that's, his name is Jules. Uh, And I started working with Jules in 2014. And that was the point where I was weak and I was broken. I had gone through... A really bad relationship breakdown uh, I was doing my masters mm. I had back pain from all the stress I developed a hormonal imbalance I got shingles I got a really bad virus <laughs> <laughs> it was a really shitty year <laughs> sounds like
1: the worst point yeah, ever. So yeah. this was like yeah
0: 2013 uh, mm-hmm. and then I found Jules in 2014 mm-hmm. um, And we spent a year rehabbing my spine. Basically, our only goal was to have a strong, healthy spine. Mm -hmm. And so I saw him once a week and then I would do my homework every day. Uh, And it was probably one of the most challenging and hard things I've ever done in my life for that year. Mm -hmm. Just to feel so broken and so disconnected Especially coming from like a very athletic background, mm. uh, to I guess that whole year was me developing into what I would now call this like embodied warrior woman. <laughs> hey.
1: Wow, well, there's there's a lot to unpack there. I think like sorry, you, you that was <laughs> a really
0: long spiel.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's good though. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, I, I want to go through like each 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 of the bits, um, especially okay. uh, afterwards with the um embodied warrior woman um yeah (laughs) that's i guess one thing that cuts through with me is like this this drive that you have with like some of your choices um you know you you got motivated from i guess personally from your sister and then you entered in and and did the work in dietetics and, and nutrition um then you had Severe back pain, uh, and then you had the discipline to work on that like every day as well. Like, do you do you think that that side of yourself sort of comes from earlier age when you were competing in gymnastics, like earlier earlier on? Like, maybe do you just want to riff on a bit of yeah? I guess your that those personality traits because sometimes when these things happen to people, you might say it's. Um, it might come in a quite negative way and then they, you don't end up doing the work or making the change. But there's, there seems to be like this recurring theme in your life when you face adversity that you really face it head on and take it on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, eventually. Not without a little bit of a resistance <laughs> in the first place. But uh, I guess I'm super lucky to have very supportive parents that always just said, You know, you do what makes you happy. Uh, And I learned really really good work ethic from them. Uh, They're both very focused and disciplined people. Um,
1: Was it your choice to to do the gymnastics when you were really young?
0: Oh, I can't remember. (laughs) I'd have to ask my mom if it was my choice. Mm. Uh, But like my training then, and I was only like six, seven, eight, nine years old was four, four days a week for a couple of hours. It was a lot. And I guess I, I loved it. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, and I think a big part of it comes from that. Like if you come from an athletic background
1: Mm.
0: where, you know, you need to show up, you need to do the work. And this is kind of where I learned, um, this whole idea of like hard work or progressing to get somewhere because Mm -hmm. at that young age, you're taught like right from foundational stuff. And then that's when you start building, you build, you know, your body awareness and then you start to look at building some strength and some balance and some coordination. And I feel, I think gymnastics is so powerful. It's such an amazing sport um, to teach, not just young children, but humans of all age, so much about their body. So I guess that's where I got a lot of body awareness from and probably a lot of discipline because mm. to be good at something, you have to become a specialist at it. You have to work hard um, and do the work.
1: And were you in like competitions like every every weekend in, in that sport as well?
0: Yeah, I competed. Uh, not a lot because we were still young, I think I stopped doing it when I was ten, so we were only just starting to get heavily into like competitions. but mm-hmm. through dance, I competed uh, i w- I competed in hockey uh, I was on like a grade, which is like you know the the good team or the best team or mm-hmm. whatever, yeah, so I was always like striving to do like the best that I could uh, and then. Eventually we can get to this, but I found Olympic weightlifting and I competed in Olympic weightlifting, uh, and I specialized in that. But, uh, I think when you become a specialist, sometimes it can be at the detriment to your health or other areas of your life. Um, and that's definitely what happened with weightlifting, but yeah. 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 My drive. Yeah. I'm going to say my drive comes from my parents and Mm -hmm. from doing sport at such a young age and being taught to, to do the hard work. Uh, it's not always easy, but if you keep showing up, uh, you, you progress.
1: Yeah. I guess I draw a lot of parallels to my own childhood as well, because when I was growing up, I swam from a very young age. So, before I can even remember, I think my pool like uh, no, my mum dropped me in a pool probably from when I was like three months old, and then I remember I was in competitions from yeah like four or four or five something like really really young um and that was that was my childhood up until like eighteen years old, and it was like every weekend like training then competing, and I think that does something to to you definitely just that as you mentioned that, that showing up all the time but then having this other other motivator to show up as well because you sort of get validated a little bit big uh when you compete with others and i think at such a young age as well you know that sort of gives you that sense of place in the world you're like oh okay like i'm i'm this sort of person and i i can get this sort of result so yeah yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I I played hockey as as well, but I found that a little bit at an um, at a later oh, age. Did you... Yeah, at a university, and I remember yeah. it, it was such a fun oh, sport, cool. especially coming <laughs> c- coming from swimming, because, because in the pool I was always you know so alone. I was in my head <laughs> staring at that line all the time. You know, I I loved it at at the time, but uh, I remember I I needed to just walk away from it after, a, after school, because I'd just done so much of it. And hockey was really my first experiences in playing with a team. My mind was blown. I was like, Oh, you can, you can talk with people, you can collaborate, you can, you can just hang out it was, it was amazing.
0: You don't have to do all of the work, There's a whole team there to take the load. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, again, and then it's super powerful. I think team spots, uh, cause gymnastics and dancing can be very, you know, and swimming just very solo. Uh, Mm -hmm. but then you have something like a team spot and that teaches you other soft skills, you know, Mm -hmm. communication, collaboration, listening, receiving feedback, you know? So yeah, I think spot is, is very powerful Mm -hmm. in teaching you those, those skills.
1: So you mentioned uh, a little bit before about how like maybe this uh, point of specialization can can turn on you a little bit um maybe do you want to expand a little bit on that is that what led to your your injury or um or some other points which caused you to reconsider what you were doing
0: Yeah my initial injury uh no it wasn't a specialization uh injury it was mostly just from like stress. And I was running a lot. Uh, I had a few biomechanical, you know, things going on. Um, And then, uh, so with my work with Jules, we developed a strong, healthy spine. One day he just taught me how to snatch, which is an Olympic weightlifting move. And I just had this natural ability to be able to do it. Uh, You'll find that most like gymnasts or dancers that have got very good pattern recognition and really good body awareness are quite good at Olympic lifting. Uh, And then I fell in love with it because I remember it was like one of the first times in this recovery that I actually felt strong and capable. And it was such a beautiful feeling after, you know, being... (laughs) Being like weak and broken and working so hard and working my ass off for a year just to not be in pain and to feel capable again, it was a great feeling. So then I fell in love with Olympic weightlifting Uh, and I don't like to call it an obsession. I like to call it a fascination, (laughs) a very heavily weighted fascination with it.
1: Good way to frame it.
0: (laughs) Um, And then all of my training revolved around that. So I would train three or four hours a day, six to seven days a week, uh, pretty much all Olympic lifting and then the accessory work to go along with that. Um, And for a couple of years, it was good. Like a couple of things came up in my body just because of the load, Mm -hmm. but Jules and I worked through it, uh, and then we started a really big mobility and movement practice. Mm. This was around the around the time that Edo started to really flourish in, I guess, like the training or the fitness space, mm-hmm. and open up this idea of like movement. Mm-hmm. And so Jules um, had been following Edo for quite a long time and done, uh, you know, a lot of his uh, workshops and had gone onto his movement camp. And so yep. what he did was start to introduce this movement stuff into my training programs. Mm. Uh, So we were looking, making sure we're still looking after the spine. We're moving in different ways because Olympic lifting is very up and down. It's like one plane, one direction, uh, one load. And so all of my warm ups and my accessory work became all this, you know, weird movement stuff, which (laughs) kind of is very similar to contemporary dancing. Um, so that's how I looked after my body. But then I kept on feeling this was years, you know, I'd competed and I was still training hard, but I kept on feeling tired. Uh I couldn't recover well. Uh my in like I get in, like niggles in my body. Um and,
1: and at this point of, were you still like training like quite hard every day, like the and like yeah. three, four hours yeah per day yep
0: yep so uh yeah this was a couple of years into finding olympic weightlifting it's a really interesting program uh and i have always been very good at what our dear friend john marsh calls energy generation so, for those listening, it's like how good are you at bringing things in that give you energy? So, I'd always been very good at eating really well, sleeping, looking after my body, getting a lot of sunshine, but something in my training didn't feel quite right. So, th- I, so those concepts—really
1: those concepts around energy generation. You you already really aware of that from like yep. all this training, yeah.
0: From Jules, so Jules taught me so much, uh, so much, (laughs) so much about my body and about energy. And he really shook a lot of my beliefs that I had, you know, as like a young female around, you know, training and food and uh, the beliefs that we hold around that. Uh, He's very unconventional. So he shook a lot of those uh, and knocked a lot of that conditioning out of me. Uh, and so that's where I learned to become very good at generating energy. And I guess when you're training a lot, my only focus after being broken was to make sure I never felt like that again. So that's why I call it like a, an obsession or a fascination because my sole focus in my life was to make sure that I was strong. I was capable. I felt well and I felt healthy because of feeling so crappy for a couple of years. So it became a very good energy generator. Yeah. And then something wasn't quite right in my training. This was a couple of years in, I was doing all those things that, that were, you know, meant to be good for, for, you know, my training. And then I got injured, uh, badly. I dislocated my rib, my fourth rib, uh, the head of my rib just popped out. How did that happen there? I did it in a clean, uh, but it had been a niggling injury for months. So every time I did a jerk, I used to do really heavy jerks and like lower it back down onto my, uh, front rack and then put it back into the rack. Mm -hmm. Uh, instead of we didn't have jerk blocks. So that repeated repetitive load of the bar falling down just over time. Uh, made like, I guess my thoracic spine and my rib cage, like a little bit angry. And then one night yep. we were in barbell club and I did a clean and I caught the clean and it just went pop.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, it sounds so nasty.
0: No, <laughs> yeah, it was very unpleasant. I was on the floor. I could hardly breathe properly. Um, it brought back a lot of memories of being on the floor with my back.
1: Mm. <laughs> so, so you'd done, yeah. all, you'd done all this work and I guess it must have been really frustrating, right? Because it, uh, it, from what it sounds like, it feels like, you know, when you started working with Jules, this was like your light bulb moments where you're like, ah, oh, this is the way I'm going to heal myself. I'm going to heal my spine. But then after doing all this, th- like your rib pops out and <laughs> you're back, <laughs> back in the same place, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> I didn't take that very well. (laughs) Um, I was in a bit of a dark place for quite a few months. Uh, I could barely move really, and breathe properly, let alone train at all. Uh, So I was in quite a lot of pain for quite a while. If anyone's ever done a rib, it's quite painful. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And then I realized that I was so attached olympic lifting Uh, i was attached to me being this strong girl this olympic weightlifter and when i couldn't do that i didn't really know who i was because i had spent years uh, making sure that she wasn't a weak broken girl that she was now like a strong athlete
1: i guess guess you found yeah olympic weightlifting at the end of when when you were trying to really heal your back right and then that validated like it was like this change, right, that you stepped into because you're like, ah, oh, you know, I was broken, but then if I lift this, it means that I'm not broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can I can see it must have been yeah. really confronting when then the thing that validates you turns on you and then brings you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> brings you to the breaking point.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) I, um, I actually walked away from lifting. I stopped Mm -hmm. lifting, uh, well, mostly because I couldn't at the start. So I had to go back just doing a movement practice. So all of my work, uh, with Jules and myself was just around again, uh, you know, developing this, this healthy spine and recovering from the injury and learning more about the body. Uh, um, and at that time, I didn't understand this concept of impermanence. Like, I thought it was just going to be like this forever. <laughs> like, I'm never going to be able to lift as well again or as heavy again. Like, I felt kind of like I was in my peak. Um, and then this happened. But so I stepped away uh, and then I actually moved away. So this was just before I moved to Canada.
1: Okay. So and how many, then, this was about like three or so years ago?
0: Yeah, this would be probably three and a half years ago, mm-hmm. since like I've really properly touched a barbell. Yeah. So this was uh,
1: you, you were still based in Melbourne, then this all happened, um, and then you decided to move to to Canada, or
0: yeah, not because that happened, but <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't want to run away from it that much, but. <laughs> um, Yeah. So that happened. And I spent like six months again, just recovering from the injury, learning from it, uh, kind of thinking, okay, so that thoracic spine, that rib cage is my weakest point. Still, I'm having trouble with it. So let's like focus on it again. So that was my work. Uh, And then I obviously got back into strength training. I played with the barbell a little bit. I still went to barbell club and... Uh, and then I, yeah, I decided that I would move to Canada uh, and I've been here for three years um, and I haven't really touched a bar since then. I have played with it a little bit just to explore mm-hmm. my relationship to it uh, and see if I'm coming from this like place of love and abundance and just, you know, playful and having fun or mm-hmm if it was going to be again from this place of like fear and scarcity and about the outcome or the weight on the bar or, uh, you know, the number that I'm lifting. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm really mindful with my training now. Yep. And I guess that kind of leads into the work that I do now.
1: Yeah. I guess it's sometimes like the dark side of, um, (laughs) progression or competition, right? Like you can, um, you can really measure so accurately, like kind of yourself when you see like, Oh, I got like a hundred kilos on the bar. That's like who I am. Right. Um, Cause I've definitely fallen into those traps before. And uh, I guess your body is, is always such a changing dynamic thing. Right. And sometimes when you end up in places where you feel like unstoppable and you do these amazing lifts, then your expectation is reframed to always be like, ah. Oh, I should always be hitting that like all the time. If I'm, if I'm not, if I'm not there, then what am I like? This is a bad day. Almost like it's, it's so easy to fall into that trap. I yeah. Think.
0: Not even a bad day. It's just like, I'm bad. I'm yep. a bad lifter or I'm, you know, it's it comes back to you because mm. I really based my self-worth on the bar and yep. how well I lifted um, which so is ha- da- Like it's dangerous. And I think that comes back to your question about this specialist versus generalist. And I believe there's so much power in being a specialist because this is where you learn. You learn about your body. You learn about processes, the methods. You learn about hard work. You know, you learn about the, the sport or the skill, whatever you're trying to do and specialize in. But I f- you can't do that forever. And you can't only do that because it's just at the detriment to Mm. mostly your body, your health. It's it's hard. Uh, So coming back to this whole generalist and like, you know, playing with lots of different things and, you know, like you said, it's impermanent. What do I need to work on right now and working on that? And then maybe, yeah, just going down lots of other paths.
1: It's almost like doing the specialist thing for x amount of time but with a sort of generalist perspective in going that's not all that matters you know i can pull back i'm not defined by that i'm doing this to to learn in in this field because i agree with you as well you kind of need to jump into something head on for for a while to get a good understanding but then not to be completely consumed by it because then maybe it can lead to events such as such as this right and then if that (laughs) for whatever reason and sometimes it's out of your control and maybe it's an injury or something like that happens, then you feel like you've got nothing. You're like, Oh, what, what am I going to do now? Like, that's it. It's gone. It's gone. Um, (laughs) yeah, but yeah. Yeah. So you you mentioned this, this has led you to the work that you're, that you're doing now. So yeah. What is that?
0: Yeah. So like a one liner. (laughs) I teach women uh, how to finally get results in their training through understanding their cycle. So I guess coming back to this whole piece around, like I felt something was missing uh, in my training or in like, you know, in my energy generation and I didn't quite know what it was, when I was injured, I had a lot of time to think about it. Mm-hmm. Like what was missing? Why, why didn't I feel quite right? And I remember I came across some work by Claire Baker. She's an Australian also, and she does a lot of the stuff with the cycle uh, and uses the seasons as an, an analogy for our menstrual cycle. So I watched a webinar uh, of hers and I thought, oh my God. I actually don't know anything about my cycle. Mm. Like here I am like, you know, 28 years old, uh, you know, female, ath- like athletic, a coach, you know, who's done a Bachelor of Exercise Science uh, and a Master's in Dietetics. And mm. I actually never paid attention to my cycle.
1: Yeah, I wanted so- to ask you about this because like – You've actually done like formal qualifications. You've also like jumped into a deep like coaches and like, you know, been to movement camps, that sort of thing. Uh, Was this just never mentioned in any of it or were were you just, I guess you, you didn't have that focus so you didn't hear it or people are just not talking about it at all?
0: Yeah, uh, the short answer never really mentioned. So in my undergrad and in my master's, what's mentioned is the female triad, and that's got to do with female endurance athletes. Uh, Basically, they experience amenorrhea, so they no longer menstruate because of the training load, the volume. Um, of training so that's what's mentioned is this female triad and how when they become amenorrhea can increase their uh, risk of osteoporosis so that's all we really looked at mm. um and so no all out of all my study uh and my work with coaches it never came up And so then I decided that I would just write the day of my cycle in my training journal. So as I started to get back into my training and movement, I thought I'll just write it and see. Uh, And I dived heavily into the research. I read a lot about it. I researched it. Uh, There's actually not a lot of research out there around training and the cycle. A lot of it's endurance stuff. Mm. Only now Uh, there's a study that was done in 2017, They took, I think it was about 49 uh, strength trained females. So females that had been doing strength training and they split them in two groups. And then one group did strength training in the first half of their cycle. And then the other group did strength training in the second half of their cycle. And what they found was that the group that did the strength training in the first half of their cycle uh, got better results and they were measuring, I think they were measuring lean muscle mass and then like a power to weight ratio. So if they increase their strength. Um, But when I was, you know, when I was doing some reading on it and I started, there actually wasn't a lot out there. There was so much about like PMS and Mm. endometriosis and polycystic ovarian syndrome, but not in training. So then what I found was that I kind of found patterns, Like there would be, you know, days or weeks that I'd feel good and then days or weeks that I didn't. And I started to kind of see, because I wrote it in my training journal and wrote some data points. I kind of started to see, okay, so this is what I was doing my training. This is how I felt. And then from that, I started to change my training a little bit around how I kind of felt and what the science said. So that's when I really got into the menstrual cycle stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. I love this because it um really displays like you had to have a really high level of self-awareness as well to you know to to track how you are really feeling and then put down you know like the the truth right sometimes when you journal uh, or when I do it as well um it's really hard to really Put like the reality of, of of what's happening, especially if this uh, this sort of stuff, because it, it can be really confronting, right? Like it's it's almost like oh, in this day, I am feeling really crap. Like why why is that? Um, mm. But I just find this like a- astounding that you know this is this seems to be such a big area as well. But like there's no from what you're saying, there's minimal research behind it. Um, people are not really aware of it. Is, do you think that's changing or like why 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 has it been like that
0: yeah it's flourishing now, so the world of like periods and period health um and talking about it in the last couple of years it's uh yeah it's birthed a lot, a lot of conversation there's a lot of um people in the in the area now, a lot of really strong you know female uh either they're doctors or naturopaths or fertility specialists that are really talking about it um so it's definitely improved there's still not a lot of research in the training aspect of it um again it's like the science is cool and it can be important to know and this is with with everything and i found this with food as well but a lot of this work is really like qualitative it's like anecdotal it's only when you've been doing it for, you know, 10, 12 years and you see like patterns, you see stories. Like I've been working with women for so long, you know, and these women are like chronic dieters and over overexercisers. They're undernourishing themselves. Their nervous system's completely stressed. And so, you know, there's cycles all over the place or they don't have a cycle or they can't get the results that they want in their training. It's only over time that you really start to see all the patterns mm. And even though the science is not there, uh, there's so much qualitative or anecdotal research around, you know, it's really powerful when you have a healthy cycle to your training. You can see that in what the hormones are doing. And then you can also see that like with the reports of the women that you're working with. So then I started to put it into all the work that I was doing with women. So I started to get them to track their cycle, to understand their cycle, to know what was going on. Uh, Yeah, I honestly believe that if you know your cycle, you know your body. And I thought I knew my body, but like I really didn't because I didn't even have any understanding of my cycle and my hormones and what was actually going on.
1: Yeah, I guess it's like one of those moments where, again, it's like another light bulb and you're like ah uh, uh, <laughs> all these years I've been doing this but this has been happening and you it's it's kind of really funny right because you were like blind to it almost but mm. like something like this happens like every month <laughs> it's it's quite it's quite amazing um I guess with yeah you know the woman that, that 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 you work with as well yeah you mentioned a little bit about the first sort of steps that you get them to to do what what are some of the simple actions that you think that, you know, a lot of women out there can start implementing and doing like the, maybe like the low hanging fruit that, that they can <laughs> act on to, you know, to sort of uh, bring about more positive change um, uh, around this.
0: Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh The way that I like to talk about it, and I kind of came up with this concept or analogy, I'm not sure how, I was just thinking about it one day and how we always just like focus on one thing. Like if we're trying to do something, so say for a lot of women, it's losing weight or changing our body composition. So we're either focused really on like eating less food or training more or doing a certain type of training. And it's so much more than that. Uh, And so taking this, kind of what I've learned about okay so I was good at all these things like bringing energy in nourishing myself you know sleeping and but like I didn't understand my cycle so I came up with this concept of the red umbrella and if you can imagine an umbrella uh, the shape of it and then for for it to have its shape it has prongs so things that actually hold it up And it's these prongs that give it its shape that allow it to do its job. So if Mm. the prong's broken or it's not working right, the umbrella doesn't work right. So therefore it can't do its job. So the umbrella is your nervous system. So like the state of you. So how Mm. well you feel and how well your body functions. Now, if like one or more of those prongs isn't working right uh, for whatever reason, yeah, it can be so many reasons that it's not working right, uh, then therefore, like our state is stressed. Mm. And when our state is stressed, we find it really hard to actually get the results that we want. So prongs, for example, like your food, uh, training, your cycle, sleep, light your relationships, your emotional stability, any trauma that you've had, basically anything that's going to impact your nervous system. And so now when I start working with a female, I look at her umbrella. So what's her umbrella doing? What is it telling me? What prongs are broken or are not working right? And that's where I start because there's so many places that you could start. Mm. Uh, the few prongs uh, that I see come up over and over again that are broken and that are not working right is the food prong, mm. the cycle prong, and the metabolism prong. Uh, and so uh, often a lot of my work starts with uh, the food prong. Uh, so so many women don't eat enough, often enough. Uh, and my work in that is... To get them from this place of like undernourishment, which they've been doing for so long, like chronic dieting mm. restriction um I believe that the food prong is probably one of the most powerful prongs in like the state of our nervous system or impacting our state
1: mm. I guess this is one of the um the the problems with you know some of the s- societally driven goals that is pushed onto us right like you know for a lot of people they just want to lose weight for for example look look, look good and it'll, it'll be at any sort of cost and it's only like you know things like the food one is an easy one to because yeah you can open up any magazine right now and it's recommending you all number of crazy things but um when you frame it under this, this concept, right. Which, which, which I love this, this red, red umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember first uh, yeah seeing, seeing like um, some Instagram updates of this and it just made so much sense. I think I, I, I love the visual concepts. Um,
0: oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's really nice to hear. Um, it makes a lot of sense to me. And mm. so I'm hoping that, you know, the more I talk about it, uh, the more that it, it's like, it's not one thing. <laughs> it's like the whole, the whole thing matters. Um, mm. But yes, we can start with one prong. Uh, and I think often we forget like what food is for, mm. especially yeah. when we get caught up in this di- the diet industry and uh, you know, the media and the conditioning, mm. we lose this whole down regulate our nervous system so to actually manage stress to it yeah we need it to make hormones uh, we need it to recover to have energy uh, and then it's also to support our metabolism so
1: so what's a, like a, a common story that you hear when say women approach you and they, they tell you um, what, what's going on like uh, maybe go through a little bit of that and maybe about some of the communication that you have to like Give, give to them to, because this is kind of almost like a reframe from maybe what they've been told from everywhere else. Right.
0: Yeah. I basically tell them the complete opposite to what they've been doing <laughs> <laughs> for a really long time.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I meet it with a lot of resistance and mm-hmm. a lot of rumbling, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> eventually they listen. But uh, we're breaking down, like you said, we're breaking down a lot of conditioning, a lot of beliefs that we have. Uh, Two of the biggest beliefs, I guess, are if I eat less, I will lose weight. Or Mm. if I uh, do high intensity training and train harder and longer and more often, I'll lose weight. Mm. So mostly when I start working with women, the goal or their goal when it comes to training Uh, or working out, or exercise, or a movement, whatever you want to call it, Uh, I use the word training because it's like in the middle. So to me, what resonates is movement because I believe like everything comes under movement and we need to move our bodies. But to the women that I'm working with, it's such a foreign concept. It doesn't Mm. mean anything. And so I found, I thought, you know what, exercise is used a lot, workouts used a lot, but what about training? And so it's really just a word to describe what I would call like movement, um, but when I start working with them, these are the beliefs that we start breaking down, mm. which is this: if I eat less and train more i 'll lose weight
1: yeah, it sounds like the um you know the, those things are really just the vehicle to, for for that out and out goal, which is like, oh, I need to lose weight, and then if I lose weight i don 't know maybe I, I look better, then I feel better about myself, which is um. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've, I've had that as as well. Like most, most definitely like, I guess everyone carries around, you know, these narratives in their head for, especially when you're growing up and you're trying to find your place. I remember during university as well, first finding the gym and I was just like, yeah, I got to get, got to get big, got to get strong. <laughs> right. Um, but then somewhere during that process kind of just started reframing um, training uh, and exercise, however you want to term it to to more of about a a learning experience about my body um but i guess for a lot of people they they might not hold that or that like what you mentioned when you mentioned movement to people like that that doesn't mean anything to to anybody
0: yeah yeah i yeah i like how i like how you say that because i think it's really that's really important uh Yeah, so when I start working with them, we're breaking down the beliefs, like we're looking at the different language, uh, you know, that they, you know, the language they've been using and then the language like that I've been using. Um, But I really want to say, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot this week, is that I don't think results is a dirty word. I don't think that you shouldn't have goals that you should want to achieve a skill that you maybe want to change your body composition. Well, whether that's just to develop a stronger, more resilient body. Yeah. Or like, or whether if you are suffering from like PCOS, which is a lot of stuff with like insulin and hormones. And unfortunately they do gain like quite a bit of weight Mm. and that if you don't, you don't believe that that's how you feel like, you know, comfortable and confident and like who you are, that it's okay to want to change your body composition. And I feel like I'm, I'm not stuck, but I'm like in this place in between. So we have this, you know, the fitness world that's very focused on weight shape and size and the number and getting the results. And then we have up the other end of the spectrum, which is this, you know, body positivity, like, Mm -hmm. you know, health at every size where and And I, and I uh, you know I appreciate things from both because mm-hmm. they both can teach you a lot, but I find myself in the middle here it 's yeah. like, okay, so if the goal is to change your body composition or to lose weight, number one, we need to get curious about why mm-hmm. because i can I can guarantee you just from doing this for so long that when you get to x amount of weight you won't feel happier, you won't, you know, it's not gonna bring all those things that you think it will, like the work really needs to be done before. And if you happen to change your body composition, you know, great, but like that can't be the goal. Mm. So I speak a lot about why, like why do you train? Uh, And if your why is coming from this place, you know, that's only focused on results or only focused on the weight, then it's like from fear and scarcity and it's super stressful for the body. The umbrella doesn't like it uh, and you won't get results sustainably um, over the long term. Uh, We look at what are you training for? so coming back to this place yes it's super cool if you want to you know achieve a certain skill lift a certain weight um maybe change your body composition okay we can look at that uh and then we dive into the red umbrella and working on whatever first prong really needs attention um yeah so that's something i've been thinking about that results Mm. is not a dirty word
1: (laughs) yeah i I like that you know um it's like they're not competing ideas between, you know, the results end of the spectrum and, you know, like a more, okay, I'm doing it for the learning and more awareness of, of my body. Both of them have really positive points that you can, you can utilize really just to, to help people, right. You don't need to demonize one or or, or the other or, or forget about it. Uh, you know, I guess it's, it goes back to also like the language that, that other people understand, right. Like if you move too far away from that, um, because people are, are literally saying this right when they come to you. Oh, I want X. I want I want Y. And you need to relate back back to that.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I like that you say that. That's a thing that I've been struggling for a long time. Well, in my work, especially over the last couple of years, like the work that we've done with APA and with John, and trying to you know to. Uh, communicate and articulate and express it is what like what I actually do like I've been Mm. doing it for so long but I could never really articulate and express it and but I wasn't speaking their language Mm. I was speaking a language that I had learned you know in 2014 about being connected and you know understanding my cycle and just training for yeah training for you know the connection piece of it whereas all the women that come to see me they're in this place of focusing on the weight, fear and scarcity. Uh, They're not connected to their body. They don't trust their body. And so the work for me is, okay, well, I need to language match. So maybe I do. I have to talk about weight loss and I have to talk about body composition, things that I don't normally really want to touch on just from being in the eating disorder space and, you know, really honestly believing Mm. that it's, you know, as you are right now, like, is enough, but I have to touch on those things in order to teach them about their body so they can build trust with their body, so they can have a really powerful relationship with their body. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, that sounds like it was kind of a, another light bulb moment for yourself, right? And you're like, oh, I'm not talking <laughs> so about So many this light stuff. bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like, uh, I wasn't talking about this, but then like they're talking about it so I, I really need to talk about it as well it's coming from both sides it's like you're you're bringing up this these almost like deeply personal stuff like asking questions like why why are you training what are you training for can i talk about you know your your cycle as as well um but then on the other side you know they want to talk about getting x or y sort of result and you're like oh i don't want to talk about this it's like <laughs> it's like a it's like a trade from both sides <laughs>
0: Yeah. And and that's why I said to you at the start, it's like, (laughs) when we start working together, it's like a rumble. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's there's a lot of resistance there is because like we're shaking, you know, I'm shaking beliefs that they've had for so long. Um, and you know what it's like when you're you're trying to move through something new or learn to or you've been told something different uh, mm-hmm. that it just yeah there's a lot of resistance there um, but I find it really hard like to to come back and to talk about the weight and the shape and the size and the body composition um, but it's important it's an important mm-hmm. conversation to have and one that we're not really having from this point of view. We're having it from the fitness point of view around like, hey, yeah, six weeks to this and, you know, do this diet and, but I'm going to come at it from a different angle being like, you know what? Okay. Like if you want to do it and you want to change your body composition Mm -hmm. here, I can show you how. Mm. I can show you how to balance your hormones, how to, you know, have a healthy cycle, how to shift your perspective and connect to your body. But also we can show up and we can do the hard directional work. We can get results. We can lift heavier, you know, and we can change our body composition if we want to.
1: So one thing I wanted to also cover is, I guess, um, you know, as as a guy, how I can be mindful of, you know, this whole other spectrum that for me i'm i'm i feel like almost oblivious to I, I don't i don't have um these sort of requirements although when i hear about concepts such as this red umbrella i'm like oh yeah you know i've got my own prongs as well that i need to to keep nourishing as well but maybe some prongs i i, I don't have um but you know in place of that i might have other other ones as as well but i guess for what would you say for uh, to, to guys when they're dealing with, you know, like I've got a partner, you know, I I deal with like sometimes guiding other women as well. What, what would you, what would you recommend?
0: Yeah. Uh, again, really good question. Uh, first, every red umbrella is different. So your umbrella is different to mine. Mine's different to another female. And then what impacts our umbrella is really different. Uh, and yeah, we have the cycle as a prong in our umbrella. Uh, so I run a workshop which is called training the female warrior and it's for women who train, but it's also for coaches who train women and it it doesn't even have to be coaches. It can be any male. Yeah. We're also, mm. You know, as males you're surrounded by females uh, and as females we're surrounded by a lot of male coaches. And so what I was seeing was that, okay, so you know, I could understand my cycle and I could know what's going on. But if I have a male coach in a training program, that's a certain way. And I don't know how to communicate it to him. Well, then there's no point. It's like, we can know the information, but you know, then can we use it or could we talk about it? So I call it the art of talking about it. Uh, And it's really around learning how to talk about, The cycle. Mm. Uh, The first piece is permission. So, asking permission. Uh, And I think uh, I did a podcast a little while ago and I wrote a piece on confident conversations. A friend of mine, she was really struggling with uh, her relationship when she was on her period, especially just before a period when her hormones drop. And uh, there was some conflict in the relationship and she didn't really know how to talk to her partner about it. And so I did this episode on, okay, well, what does it actually look like to have like a conversation where I feel super confident in having it? Because I think that's, can be super hard. Well, the first part is if we don't understand it, we can't talk about it. Yeah. Mm. So as a female, if I don't understand my cycle, I can't talk to it about you, to you. And then as a male, if you don't understand what's actually going on with the cycle, you really can't talk to me about it. Mm. So the first piece is asking permission. Can I speak to you about your cycle or, Hey, I've been tracking my cycle. Here's kind of what I've learned. Would you mind if we had a conversation about it and my training? Mm. Um, Then it's um, really just like listening so there would be like deep understanding about what's going on, asking permission, and then just being open and listening to mm. actually like so, to each other.
1: So sometimes, this, uh, so this is coming from uh, like the the female herself as well, like to to bring up this conversation of going, hey, like I wanna I wanna talk about this. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to her training, I think it can be really powerful if she has a male coach, uh, that, and she's noticing some things to actually ask him for permission to speak about it either, either way. I think when we talk to someone about something that, uh, you know, maybe a little hard, um, that we always ask them permission if we can actually talk about it with them. Uh, I find this super common, especially in the fitness and the health world, is that, you know, we can, we have all this information, yeah? Or we might know something or we might've done something and then we just want to tell other people, Mm. yeah? Or you have back pain, do this, this, and this. Or you want to lose weight, do this, this, and this. Or you want to have healthy hormones, do this, this, and this. But often people aren't really ready to hear that. Mm. And so... You know, as say a male coach, they come to the workshop, they learn some cool stuff around periods and training to go back to their female clients and say, Hey, I went to a workshop on the weekend. It was about the cycle and training and I learned some cool things. Would you like to talk about it? Or would you like to know more? Or Mm -hmm. would you mind if I share some more about it? Uh, Yeah, so that's like really the permission piece, which builds trust and attention. Uh, Because if you don't have trust and attention, you really can't have confident conversations. So so I guess to shortly answer your question is like learn about the menstrual cycle. Like as Mm -hmm. a male to know that, you know, hormones are different throughout the cycle. So that impacts how we feel and it impacts our training. And then if our umbrella is a little broken or a little off, it's going to impact the cycle even more. Uh, and so uh having that understanding and that awareness is really important
1: yeah, I love that it's like arming yourself with the with the language and at least some sort of understanding to to help you enter into this space with the with the other person um, but um when I guess when you when when coaches have this convers- conversation, what are the sort of normal shifts that um that are good to keep in mind for 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 a woman, say 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 maybe they're having one of these problems with uh you know the cycle, is it like just shifting training load or not training at all or some other sort of changes? What do you normally see?
0: Yeah, so uh, the cycle has two phases. So you have your follicular phase and then you have your luteal phase. Uh, Day like one is the first day of a bleed, so when you're menstruating can go from one to seven days, depending on a female cycle. Uh, generally, the first couple of days there, we're a little low energy. Like it's taken a lot for our body to prepare, to shed the lining, to bleed. Uh, a lot of females can experience PMS symptoms, and so they might not feel that great. Towards the end of that first week, hormones are starting to increase. They're starting to feel a little better. And so this is the time when you can start to build. So when I work with females, the first week or five days, it's like a building phase. Yeah, like we're moving, we're starting to develop maybe some new concepts, uh, some new skills. And then the second week is when all the hormones start to really rise. Mm -hmm. And it's those that help us support more training, harder training, longer training, better recovery, better use of like fuel so we can use carbohydrates better to get more energy for our training. We recover better. We build muscle mass better. And so then we really have a peak right in the middle at around day 14. This is if you're at a 28 day cycle. Most females aren't, but say whenever you ovulate, all the hormones are peaked. So PBs, lift heavy, high intensity, train hard. You'll feel good. And then the third and fourth week, the third week, you start to have a decrease in hormones. And this is when maybe there's a shift or maybe it's okay. Uh, It just depends on what's going on in the cycle and the hormones. Uh, And then there's a bit more mindfulness in the movement. The last five to seven days of a female cycle generally are when she'll notice the shift the most. All the hormones are dropped uh, except progesterone. Uh, it peaks, you know, at around 20, 22 days. Uh, but estrogen, which give us energy, testosterone, all of that, they've dropped off. Uh, and then that's that's when you'll know. So generally with females, they just need to be more mindful, like five to seven days before their cycle
1: yeah it sounds like just like almost really intelligent like auto regulation training which <laughs> i guess almost everybody should be practicing right but kind of sometimes go goes counter to like you know you get a program you set you set it you get really amped up you're like you know it's almost like an a plus b equals c equation it's like okay i'm going to do these six weeks in this you know mesocycle and then i'm going to be like there right and to get there, I have to do what the program says um yeah. I guess that's almost yeah. like how sometimes you know like I approach it as as a male um but you know thinking about it as well, you know i I also have to pull myself back at times because you know i'm I'm not feeling there, and I know that if I really invest heavily in my energy some days with some some of this, like that's all I'm doing, you know. If I've got to do work afterwards and I'm just sitting at a desk and nothing's nothing's happening. So gotta be mindful of yeah. Sometimes this it goes back to this energy, you know, this this energy in and out and how that balance can change um just according to v- to various things.
0: Yeah, and and the cycle is just one prong. And so when I do this work, what's really important to know is that okay, so that's how it goes. Yeah. When we look at the hormones, we look at the science of it, Mm -hmm. but what's really happening. Yeah. And the only way you're going to know that is if you track your cycle Mm. and understand your cycle, because I could be in, you know, the first part of my cycle, which if we look at what's actually happening with the hormones may not support hard training, but if my umbrella is strong and my prongs are strong and I feel good, there's no reason why I couldn't train hard then, yeah? Or I could be in the peak of my cycle when all my hormones are meant to be supporting me and to PB and train hard. But I could feel like, shit, yeah, my umbrella prongs, the other ones, might not be nourished. I might have not slept well. Maybe I didn't eat that well that day or drink enough water. And so, yeah, my hormones could be there, but what are my other prongs doing? And so it's coming back to this big picture because when we want to beat ourselves up we're not enough we didn't do well enough if we can come back to our umbrella and know okay i I understand why my prongs weren't strong so
1: so what do you recommend for practically for bringing this awareness you know like to to keep an eye on these markers do you get um people normally to like journal about it or mark it down somewhere or an app tracker, because yeah, sometimes what I feel as well is, you know, feelings can be deceptive. Sometimes you're like, Oh, you know, I'm yeah. here, I'm there. And then you start and you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not really here or I'm, I'm <laughs> actually really tired, but I didn't know that. <laughs> or I yeah. didn't. I, I I like somehow stopped myself from knowing about it. You know? Yeah. yeah
0: I didn't actually listen. <laughs> Yeah. And that's an ongoing battle. Yeah. I'm, I still go through that where there's days where I just want to tell myself a different story. Mm. Um, but I know that my red umbrella is probably not going to, you know, support what I want to do. Uh, so over the cycle, uh, it's really helpful to just start using an app because often what happens is that if We don't understand our body. We're not really sure what to actually even track. Like what Mm -hmm. does that even look like? So an app is kind of like the 101 of tracking. It just, Mm -hmm. they're super engaging, super easy to use. uh, And then you can add in and take away all the things that you want to focus on. So start with an app, clue, flow, fitter. Fitter is actually created. Uh, for women who train Mm -hmm. and you can actually put a lot of the training uh information in so start there or you can go old school you could write the day of your cycle and any data points basically at the start when someone's learning to do this we're looking for as many data points as possible Mm -hmm. as much information as possible uh and you're only going to get that after repeated cycles so then you can start to see patterns because like you said feelings can be deceptive a Mm. day can be deceptive even a week yeah so at least three months commit to it to see what's actually going on um that's where i would start with the cycle tracking
1: yeah Yeah, that's really cool that reminds me of how like when i first started like a training journal you know for the first time then i'm writing Mm. it down i'm like oh holy shit like I've been writing about this same thing for ages. Like why am I fixing it or you yeah. know, making me realize these, <laughs> th- these points that I guess if you go day to day, it's so easy to forget, you know, you sleep and you wake up and you're like, oh, that, that wasn't so bad. But you're like, yeah. actually, it's, it's always there, yeah.
0: I love that you say that because I remember in my training journal when I was competing, I wrote the word rib, rib. <laughs> Rib, rib, like literally every day in my training journal. <laughs> rib, rib, rib for probably three months before, like I actually did my rib. <laughs> I looked back in my training journal, and I just saw it, like it was the data point that just came up every time. But I ignored it because sometimes we just don't want to see what comes up. Yeah, and that's why it's important to have someone that you know can hold you accountable, that can support you, that you know, you can bring all this other stuff when, you know, you've written rib for three months and (laughs) you don't listen to
1: it. Yeah. That's um, the value of a coach, right? You can really, yeah. Yeah. Pay, pay big, big dividends. (laughs) But um, yeah, I guess what, what sort of training are you um, into now at the moment? And you know, what, what is the type of training that you're, you're coaching um, the women that, that are coming to you?
0: Yeah, so my own personal training uh, for the last few years has just been uh, a lot of exploring, a lot of playing. Uh, mostly I went back to st- bodyweight strength training or gymnastic strength training, a lot of the stuff with the rings, with handstands, uh, hand balancing, uh, and then just, you know, traditional uh, strength training. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually um strained uh a tendon or a ligament in my back 3 months oh. ago and I did a really good job of it so I actually haven't trained in 3 months um and I've just gone back to a movement practice but it was a really beautiful learning again I've gotten a lot better at dealing with injuries <laughs> uh the first couple of weeks were a little hard like I you know just spent time just seeing what came up for me like old stories old, you know, resistance around, you know, having a body that felt broken or weak. Um, So for the past three months, it's been a really great experience for me to go through this injury again, and to feel okay about it, to be really patient, to be very aware. um, And just to take it slow. So I'm just doing like light movement practices Mm -hmm. right now. The work that I do with women, uh, when they come to see me, we stop all high-intensity exercise. Uh, I have them walk. I call it 15,000 steps to connection. I'm not so much worried about the number, uh, mm-hmm. but I am. I want them to get out and walk. I think it's such a powerful tool to connect to our body, to our mm-hmm. breath. Uh, so they have a personal project to walk, uh, and they do body weight strength training. I'm a big believer that body weight strength training is like the tool to help you learn about your body.
1: Awesome. It yep. just,
0: it teaches you so much. And yep. so the work that I do with them is only around body weight strength training and gymnastic strength training.
1: Like both those tools seem like super, super fascinating. Like one, the, the walking as an awareness piece and, um, Yeah, I agree with you there with the body weight strength training, but maybe you want to expand on it a little bit. Like my experience as well is delving deeper into this. Um, I don't know. It's a different approach to the barbell um, strength training in some way where it is getting me like forcing this understanding of awareness in, in, in my body that I haven't encountered with other sort of modalities.
0: Yeah, because you, you can't hide behind anything, really. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I just feel it's kind of like, you know, you think of a pyramid and you're building a foundation. Uh, and Ido talks about it a lot in his isolation, um, integration, improvisation. And it's kind of really cool if you look at that because... To isolate, yes, we need to develop the bottom of this pyramid. And so many women don't have that. Yeah, they're Mm. like way up at the top or they haven't even developed a foundation because they've been doing you know, cardio or high intensity exercise for years or decades, yeah, running or doing spin or, you know, high intensity circuits. And they don't give you any space or allow any time to develop any sort of connection, really, a Mm. deep connection. And so if you like bring it back and slow it down and ask the body to do these things, you know, in isolation and to, you know, to do it just with your body, there is so much power there in the awareness that you develop um, and the connection that you develop with your own body. So that's where we start. And now I love, um, I love strength training. Yeah. And I love the barbell and the gymnastics rings and they're amazing tools. uh, But I think you kind of have to earn it. (laughs) yeah, you have to be able to control and understand your body. And then when you start to do that, then you can earn the right to, you know, add all these other cool tools in to do these cool skills. Because if you don't, don't do the foundation, it's not sustainable. So like what came up was like, okay, so you, I haven't trained for three months right and i one of the women that i work with was like well did you gain any weight or are you so much weaker (laughs) and like i haven't because my metabolism is balanced my hormones are balanced Mm. um and i did a bit of a strength session yesterday just basic volume stuff but it's there mm. because I spent years and years developing the foundation, doing the isolation stuff and then integrating in into it. Um, and so I think what's really important is that if you really want to get results in your training, you have to go back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And most women don't want to do that because they don't think it's sexy
1: i think i think most people don't want to do that i mean myself in- included yeah. When well, <laughs> it's like those moments uh, i mean i know like say like working on the handstand when it's just like ah oh, i gotta go back to the wall now i gotta go ah oh, but i don't want to go back to the wall but then you do it and then like it makes so much of a difference you know to to th- that development um and i guess yeah sometimes like yeah your ego takes a hit or whatever but
0: yeah it um the it really comes back yeah no. <laughs> but it comes back to where you started this conversation around like this you know doing the hard work doing mm. the hard part and no one really you know and myself included i never really wanted to do the hard part or do the hard work <laughs> until i went through so many injuries and understood that you know what You have to, you have to do the hard work. You have to choose the hard part. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, it can seem a little unsexy, but you know what? It's actually not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because when you, you know, develop this toolkit and these skills and you feel capable and strong in your body, that changes like, you know, your posture and how you show up and that's sexy. yeah? Yeah. Just being on a spin bike or, you know, like smashing yourself high intensity circuit training and not really. Really learning anything or getting anywhere that's not sexy it's not their fault and that's really important to to say Mm -hmm. it's societies and our conditioning but really in the end it's like not the sexy way
1: Mm. yeah this is amazing um i guess with what you're working on now and into the future where do you see it it, it, it all heading you mentioned you know you're working on a few things such as like this embodied warrior woman program i've seen on your website as well you know you do regular sort of body weight strength classes um is this what you're focusing on um in, in currently and is is there anything more that you would like to to develop you know ongoing say in the next five years or so
0: Yeah. Another good question. Uh, yeah, so I do women's body weight strength classes a few times a week out of my studio space here in my apartment in North Vancouver. Uh, and it's just really a space for women to come. It's small groups to learn, to start to really use their body as a tool. Uh, so that's one of the things that I do. Uh, the other thing is, yeah, I've created a program which is called the embodied warrior woman, uh, Like, I believe we're all warrior women, but we're not embodied. We're not connected. And it's this connection piece and this embodied piece that really allows us to show up more powerfully in our lives uh, and have a more powerful relationship with ourselves and with others. And so the program, it's six months and the women that I work with in the program are The first part is all around the cycle. So understanding the menstrual cycle, uh, look at what's going on with their hormones and really implementing a plan to rebalance their hormones and their metabolism uh, and teach them about their cycle. The second part is training. Uh, So how do you train? Uh, No one really understands how. Yeah, they kind of know the what, uh, but... Like, how do you actually do it? Uh, So I teach them how to actually train. So like, what does it look like? Like programs, progressions, exercises, uh, but also in the whole context of this red umbrella. Yeah. The things Mm. that impact the training that help you get more out of the training. So I take them, they do like their own individualized program that they're on uh, through the, through the program. And then the third piece is like the embodiment piece. And this is kind of like unlocking this dark thread that we can't really connect into because we're missing this embodiment. Mm. And it's like reigniting like our sexuality, our femininity, kind of like this passion and eroticism that uh, we really can't tap into because we're not connected to our body. So the first two parts are really about connecting to the body uh, and building trust with it. And then the third piece is like, okay, You know, how can I like use it to, you know, to connect to myself or to my to my partner more. Mm. Um those are the two things that I am oh, and my my workshops. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the workshop that I run for women who train and coaches who train women, that's called the training the female warrior. And I was I am maybe, I'm not sure, coming to Australia in May. Hopefully. Like we're talking about, yeah, at the start. Uh, hopefully depending on um, how we navigate through what we're going, what's going on in the world at the moment. But yeah, my tour is uh, meant to be happening at the start of May, but we will see.
1: Yeah. Well, it sounds awesome. And, you know, hopefully you'll be over over here because yeah, I definitely (laughs) want to go and attend one of these, uh, these events and then learn, learn a bit more. And so yeah, what you're doing, because I think it's, you know, really important i think you're, yeah, you know talking about things that that need to be talked about and bringing awareness to to things that yeah really affect a, a lot of people so um you know i get a lot of inspiration and i know every, every time you post like an, an update with this sort of stuff i'm like oh, this is gold you know i need to <laughs> uh, uh, i need to be aware of this so um yeah i guess thank you maybe-
0: that's so nice
1: do you want to also just wrap up a little bit by just um pointing where where can, where can people find your details um you know where do you put out your stuff
0: yeah um my instagram, which is probably where I show up a lot uh is amy kate Bow, uh b o w e uh that's where I post pretty much daily all about like training cycles food um and then i do have a website uh which is amykatebo.com and you can jump on there and read a little bit more about me and about the program that i run uh those are probably the two platforms that i show up a lot on
1: And I do also recommend, you know, you've got your own podcast as well. Oh,
0: yeah, my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know how I forgot that because I love talking. (laughs) (laughs) That would probably be my five-year goal is to do more speaking events Mm because I love talking. Um, Yeah, so I have a podcast. It's called The Off-Kilter Podcast. Um, And, yeah, I'm on there talking about all things, cycles, training, training. and food yeah everything that i do in my work
1: awesome well we'll probably just wrap it up there unless yeah is there any other messages that you'd like to share
0: no just know your cycle and then you can know your body uh and i've probably spoken way too much (laughs) on this (laughs) podcast (laughs) i like to talk
1: (laughs) (laughs) no it's been a pleasure having you and um Yeah. yeah Thank, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on to have uh, this conversation. I really enjoyed it. If you have any questions, you can connect with me on Instagram at AmyKateBo. I also write a daily blog. You can sign up on my website, amykatebow.com. Thank you for making the space to listen today. Remember, take the long way home. Bye for now.